Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you brought one with you today, to Psalm 145. Again, just this time that we set aside as a nation to give thanks, but we determined at a very early existence in our church that it would be good to gather together on this morning, on Thanksgiving morning, in order to just thank God and to recognize God and and all that He has given us and all that He has done and continues to do. Now, the first Thanksgiving, I was told by a prophet in our church that nobody's going to show up. But every year somebody shows up. Every year people have a heart to set God first. Not that the people who aren't here do not have that heart. Everybody's got certain things going on. I understand that. But it's just so good to gather together as the body of Christ. And I thank God for that. Stay at Psalm 145. I'm just going to read Psalm 92, verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To sing praises to His name. His name, the nature and the essence of who He is. To understand the graciousness of God. Just to understand how long-suffering God is. And it's the amazing part of amazing grace and that I was so deserving of being cast out from the family of God, but nonetheless, even in an undeserving state, the Lord has, has brought us all in. And, and then I look at my, my home as I sit in my home and just the house that I have, but the possessions and the people and all of these things and all of that stuff, I see what God has given me and I realize that as I praise His name, how undeserving I am, but how good He is. And then sometimes I come in here during the week and sit by myself. That may sound kind of weird, but I do do that. And just look at and look what God has blessed us with, that we have a gathering place, that we have a place and we've got the things necessary to be able to worship. And we have people who are faithful in their service to the Lord. The people that are in there ministering to the kids, they're the people who minister to the kids pretty much every Sunday, and they just so have a heart to do so. And Lord, I thank you that you have brought us people that have a heart to to serve you in that capacity, but to serve you by serving us. And what a blessing that that is. A thankful spirit. How important is a thankful spirit? Well, a thankful spirit is the result of recognizing the source of your blessings. Because it does no good just to be thankful, but it's to recognize the one to whom has blessed us, to thank God in a very real and a very intimate way. Thankfulness for the sake of thanking is empty, but thankfulness that comes from a recognition of the source is fulfilling. It's the, what is the basis of our thanks today? It's everything that God has done, continues to do, based upon the promises, because the promises of God and the Word of God, we should be able to look back in our lives and see those realized, but also look forward and realize that just as God has blessed me with these promises and the fulfillment of them in the past, He's going to do so in the future. She's sitting right there, Matt. Matt's in an orange vest going, he's looking for his wife. <laughs> and his wife's going, I can't believe he did that. What are the promises of God? What has He promised God? Now, as I read these things, I want you to consider them. But He's promised to give us rest, to supply all of our needs, to guard our hearts and minds. He has promised us a future and a hope, that we are partakers of His divine nature, that all things will work together for the good. He has promised power to the weak and strength to the powerless. 
no condemnation to the repentant sinner, eternal life for all who call upon His name, and He has promised us a love in which we cannot be separated from. All these are amazing things. They should be beyond us, and well, the only result of them truly should be is a heart that just, thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. I mean, just think about that. Just thanking God. God who is mindful of You. God who spoke all of this into existence He thinks about you. He thinks about you and your situation, your home and your family. And because of that, we offer Him our praises of thanks. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We live in a time that you can grow very weary and faintful, but as we have our eyes upon the prize, upon the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He has set before us, we continue forward with a great endurance. At least I pray that we do. In Psalm 145, Psalm 145 is the last of David's psalms, at least they're the last known Davidic psalms. The other ones possibly could be written by him, but we have no way of knowing. But I look at Psalm 145 as some of David's last words. And his last words in this psalm, they are words of praise and thanksgiving. Now think of praise. We so attach praising to singing, but praise is just an expression of our heart. And really, the roots of it is a thankful expression of our heart. Since Psalm 145 is a psalm of praise, I see it's very applicable for today. Again, we have to look deep within our souls. Do you have a heart of praising God for, for all that He has done? And I see an intimacy here with the psalmist and his God. As in all of David's writings, he does not so much get theological, but David gets personal. He allows his relationship to be exposed with his God, and in the midst of it, you can see the intimacy that lies there, and prayerfully, you would be able to equate that with your relationship with the Lord. In David's life, whether difficulty or delight, pain or pleasure, happiness or hopelessness, God is always very real in his life. Real? it means that David is always keenly aware of God's presence. We can so easily take God for granted. We can so easily just assume He is there, and and even in the midst of our prayers, we can so easily take Him for granted. But do you acknowledge His presence? Acknowledge His presence in every day of your life from the moment you wake up to the moment you go back to sleep. See, we need to get set back at the right place every so often, Let Thanksgiving be a day that you do that. Let Thanksgiving be a day that, as I said earlier, that you you look around you and you realize that that myself, again, knowing who you are, because you know who you are, and being honest with you are who you are, and understanding that nonetheless God is is mindful of you and, and God speaks of you. David, one thing we see about David is David's a big God person. And what I mean by that, God is very big in his life. God, it seems, is always before him. Now, we know that David was not a perfect person, and that's how we can relate to him. But nonetheless, we see that David, 
David is a big God person, understanding the magnitude of who his God is. Paul, another big God guy, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And so how about you? What's the magnitude of God within your life? And as we understand that God is our all and all, and then, well, he just becomes great in our life, and as he becomes great in our lives, people are able to see that and come and partake of that, just as we are with King David here in this psalms. And as we start this psalm, look at the I wills. And in these I wills here, you need to see the desire that he has to glorify his God. Psalm 145, it's a praise of David. That praise of David is inspired and it is part of the text. It says, I will extol you. So I will praise you. That word extol, next to what you could write praise. I will. Again, this is an expression of his heart. It's been said, do you want to make God laugh? Tell him what you will do. But that's not so much what this is. He's not bragging before God. He's just expressing his heart before the Lord. I will praise you, my God. Remember what he said earlier in Psalm 23? The Lord is, is my shepherd. David was wrong in that. He's my shepherd. And you should say, no, pastor, like Bertie is doing right now. You're wrong. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, the fact of the matter is the Lord is a personal shepherd. He's all of our shepherds, but you need to see this personalized. I will praise you, my God, O King. So he's not only his God, he's his king. God is creator and director and all that, but king, the one who governs the affairs of his life. And I will bless your name forever and ever. I will bless who you are. And the bottom line in all of who God is, above all, God is good. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? Just as David did, have you ever tried doing that? Have you ever taken the time and meditated on the glorious splendor of his majesty. That's basically the glory of God. It's what Isaiah saw. It's what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 when he went into the throne room of God and saw the majesty of God, his unadulterated glory. And he was in the midst of God's glory that it drove Isaiah to his knees in a recognition of who he is. But when he came to that place as as scary as that can be, it was there that God met him in grace in an intimate way and cleansed him. And so have you taken that time to meditate, to truly dwell upon or to think upon, to muse upon the glory of God and how the glory of God surrounds us just as truly as it did in, as Israel was wandering through the wilderness and just as truly as God did as he inhabited the temple, that the glory of God... The glory of God today, it inhabits you. And for that, Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful, Father, that your, your glory dwells within inside of us. That as your glory dwells inside of us, and every so often, Lord, as, as we give opportunity, that we see the glory come out. Have you ever said something that, well, in a good way, I'm sure you said a lot of things that aren't good, but said something, just had that opportunity, and you ministered to somebody, you shared with somebody, and maybe you even said something you didn't really know that you knew, 
And, and, and you just, wow, God just, just used me there. A little bit of the glory came out. A little bit of the glory come, came out. The problem is with all of us, everybody, myself included, sometimes just a little bit of the glory comes out. And we can so easily hinder what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But here the psalmist says, David says, I'll meditate on your glorious splendor and on your majesty. We need to learn to see the splendor and majesty of God. I need to see it in my life. I need to recognize it in the life of my spouse. I kind of examine my wife regularly because I think she's very pretty, number one. But number two, I think she's very godly. And I see the Lord working in her life. And I don't want to embarrass her and, you know, kind of personal stuff, I guess. But I can see the glory, the splendor, and the majesty of God. I see it in my life, my wife, in my life too, but my, my wife. I, I can see it in my kids. I don't see that it's to full fruition at, at certain times, but nonetheless, I can see it in my children. I see it in my grandchildren. The beauty of the grandchildren is they're still so young, they buy into everything that you tell them. And as we've glorified God, and I just see them with a desire to glorify God, now I know they're going to have a testimony. I know that the world, there's going to be the world, and there's going to be the attacks of the devil, but I see that purity. Lord, and what did Jesus say? Allow the little children to come to me. And he says that we need to be as those little children that come to him. And I see that in that innocence. And Lord, I just thank you for that picture. Help me to not look down upon that as somebody is more mature, but Father, look upon that as something to obtain too, that I would have that innocence before my holy God. I mean, how many of us, are, can, we, can we be so reserved? So reserved as we, well, look, as, even as we enter into here, I've said it before, where else can you go and lift your hands and sing praises, but am I really doing that? Am I really singing out and just praising you? Or am I just mouthing some words? But am I really entering into a spirit of worship? Well, first, you need to be able to, or at least have meditated on the glorious splendor of God's majesty as he has revealed it to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, the possession of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. And that should cause us to well up and give thanks to him through our praise as we sing these songs, but even so much sing songs as I offer that innermost portion of my heart to him. Because have you ever really examined, meditate upon this? What is a song? Or, or maybe I should say, what is singing? Uh, my, my granddaughter, my youngest granddaughter, she'll kind of laugh and she'll kind of, eh, you know, make those funny noises that they make. And it's almost like a, a song, if you will. And as she's doing that, I see, I'll make an idiot of myself before her because I so enjoy that. You know, you know, making all these silly little things. And then she laughs. And there's just that, that joy as you get that response. Well, what I see in the scripture is, God gets that joy from our response that is no better than this little baby making these, these, these little noises. But because that I have a God that is mindful of me, I need to give thanks to him, Lord, that in my inabilities, that, Lord, you're, you're still blessed and, and your heart still wells up with love that you desire to care for me, care for us, and watch over us and, and keep us. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. Greatness, 
It's a good word, and we understand that. But really, I think an old English word speaks volumes. Unfortunately, this word has changed throughout the centuries and means something quite opposite today. But I will declare your awfulness. Your awfulness, full of awe. Because isn't that what God is? We're just full of awe. I mean, if you truly meditate upon God, you just look at Him in in complete awe. A lack of, of comprehension and really what true holiness is. A, a lack of understanding of what God's works truly are. A lack of not knowing really, you're not seeing much up there because I'm just kind of up here talking today, but nonetheless, just understanding how God meets us in all the little details of our lives. And as he does that, I see how he's ingrained within a society. See, we talk about our nation and how our nation is expelling God out of it ain't never going to happen. They can't do it. Can't do it. God's omnipresent for one thing, but I'm not even talking about that. As long as God's people exist, the influence of God is going to be there. Ladies, what are you studying? You're studying Daniel. And look at Daniel in that situation. He was taken captive. He was put in the king's court, but in the king's court for the king's purposes. As he was put in the king's court for the king's purposes, we see that as far as he's concerned, now, I'm sure we didn't see, or I know we don't see, some of the dark times that had to be there, wondering, Lord, what in the world is going on? And he didn't want to be there, I'm sure, especially at an early age. But nonetheless, he came to an understanding that this is what God has for me. And as that is what God had for him, he gave that godly influence at every opportunity. This morning, if you're reading through the Bible bus, we're in Daniel, and what were they going to do? Well, Nebuchadnezzar wanted his dream interpreted. Not only that, he wanted him to tell what the dream was. And the magicians of the world were saying, how can we possibly do this? But Daniel says, I'll be able to do it. He goes into the king's court, and the king asks him to do it. And he says, but it's not me, it's God. It's the Lord. And what you're seeing there is, and even the, you know, we, we complain about our president and godlessness and all of that, which I think we're probably justified in that but nonetheless he had Nebuchadnezzar he had Nebuchadnezzar and he went into the court of Nebuchadnezzar and as he went into the court of Nebuchadnezzar he did so in faith in what God wanted to do understanding that if I stand for the Lord and if I understand if I stand for the things of the Lord then God is going to bless me some of the glory is going to come out and so what he told him is it's not me it's God who is going to interpret your dreams and as he did God was glorified even in that, in that pagan king. And then a little bit later on, he, that pagan king issues that decree that all shall bow down before him. And there's three of, of um, Daniel's friends that refuse to do that. Why? Because again, they're in a godless society, but they're going to continue in the Lord, in the ways of the Lord, regardless of what is legislated, regardless of the the direction that the, the country decides to take. Because God has been so good in their lives. Pastor Mike, they're in captivity. Yeah, but in the midst of captivity, God has been so good in their lives. And so the king tells them what he's going to do to them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, I'm in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, and he said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. Again, they were commanded to worship him. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And then verse 18 is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. 
But if not, but if not, but if that not be the will of God, can you still thank God in the but if nots when things aren't going how you think they should? Because again, if God is God, then really what does it matter what I think? If God is truly your king, should we be subjected to his will and he not subjected to our will? But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I will continue in and what I know God's word to be. I will continue moving forward in what I know God's command to be because God has been good to me throughout the ages and I give thanks to him in so many ways and in faithfulness and obedience and service is just simply another way. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he spoke and commanded that the heat uh, that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Isn't that the way it is? When you decide to walk with the Lord and walk for the Lord and to praise God and to thank God, the heat starts going up. The trials start increasing. And the magnitude of the trials increase. But nonetheless, it, it didn't matter. them. God's will be done as far as they were concerned. And then a little bit later on in the scriptures, it says, therefore, verse 22, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And that was the end of them, crispy critters, you would think. And that's what we always think. And that's what our concern can be a lot, that, okay, this is the end. God now is going to leave me and he is going to forsake me. And all of the Bible, I'm going to be the first one that God does that. That's going to be the one promise in my, the midst of my trial. It's going to be the one promise that he's not going to fulfill. And we can be so concerned about that and lose our faith in the middle of it. But see, it's in the middle of the burning, fiery furnace that he is going to meet those young men. It's in the midst of that. Now, he's going to burn everything else away. The guards, the things that had them in, in captured, they're going to be done away with. The ropes are going to be burnt off. The ropes by which they were bound are going to be burnt off. As a matter of fact, what's going to happen is, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the trial, they're going to find freedom in God based upon their dedication to the Lord. So you can look back on the, but if not. But if not, what kind of faith is that? Well, but if not, led them directly into the fiery furnace where they found their freedom. And so it's in the midst of the trial, it's in the midst of the heat that we, well, then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Now, this is the world looking at a believer going through a trial. Then king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered. Now here, that look, He's astonished. He's looking in there and he's seeing these men. I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. He can't really express it, but I see another one in there, and it's as if God has entered into that trial with them. He's amazed. He's amazed. So thank you, Lord, for the trials that you give us. Thank you for the hardship that we have to go through. Lord, may we understand and recognize your goodness in the midst of the fiery furnaces 
that we must enter in from time to time. Again, if I'm going to thank God, if I'm going to truly praise Him, it needs to be for all situations and all circumstances. Back in Psalm 145, verses 3 through 7, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your glorious, or wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. And so the idea or this area of praise, of thanks, again, is for God's greatness, His awfulness, how much in awe that they are of the Lord, how much in awe the psalmist is. And I think the essence of God's greatness and man's response to it is the essence of really what the Bible is all about, based upon the sovereignty of God, but also the responsibility of man. In the book of Exodus, it says, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 25 through 27, and it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you. See, if you remember nothing from this study today, remember this, regardless of who you are, in the midst of who you are meeting with today around that Thanksgiving table, it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you today, just as He promised that you shall keep His service, and it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. We know that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ who passed over the house of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the idea here is, is that when people ask, when they, people ask and when people want to know that I'd be ready to give a hope for the reason that is within me, and it's because we are being passed over for judgment based upon that lamb that was sacrificed so long ago. And so with all this bounty, bounty here that is upon this table. I mean, look at your table. I'm sure the majority of our tables, if not all of our tables, are going to probably look more glorious than they look all year long with all of the food and all of the, the you bring the good china out for times like this. And, and just understand that this is just a, an offering to the Lord. An offering to the Lord? I'm going to be eating that, yeah. And when we eat that, and when we consume that, this is us in recognition. Now, this is a time when you get to be a glutton. Gluttonous is good today. Eat your meal. You can remember Pastor Mike as you're in the midst. Of, no, don't remember Pastor Mike. Give glory to God. But nonetheless, consume that meal. And when you're over there on the easy chair and you're suffering, just remember. <laughs> just remember, it was that stuffed turkey that was sacrificed. So you, as a stuffed turkey at that point, will not have to be sacrificed. But you would remember. You would remember the goodness of God. As I pointed out, help us to be people that count our blessings, that remember all that God has done for us. Go back and, and look at the things you got. Now, maybe things aren't how you want them to be. Maybe things are kind of going a little bit difficult this year as opposed to years in the past or whatever it might be. But once again, just understand that God has given you this day. God has given you loved ones. 
God has provided. Again, if there's anybody here that needs a Thanksgiving meal, let me know after service, or one of the guys know, or at the information booth know, whatever, after service, and we'll see that you're provided for one. We have Thanksgiving boxes still in the back that after today will be converted to Christmas boxes. But nonetheless, they are there, and they're there for a reason. God has brought those things for whatever purpose, whoever needs it. So understand that. Understand that you may have to humble yourself a bit, but as we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, it's he who lifts us up. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious. You haven't gotten what you deserve. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. It's just an amazing thing. Another thing to meditate upon, that God has not given me what I deserve. Matter of fact, he's given me that which I don't deserve. Amazing grace. How sweet that sounds. How sweet that sound is when I, when I meditate upon the grace of God. It's by grace that I have been saved. If God's not gracious, then we're not saved. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, a wretch. And I think, you know, we call ourselves, as we should, sinners and whatnot, but I think a wretch really describes what we, what we are. That saved a wretch like me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we were so far off. We were so far away. Even as that turkey was doomed to destruction, we were doomed to destruction as well, to be consumed by the fires of hell. But amazing grace entered into the picture. For a lot of us, at a time when we least expected, I know grace entered into my picture when I was in the midst of the fiery furnace, that God even allowed me into the fiery furnace, but kept me and met me in the midst of my wife's and I, our fiery furnace. And I was a wretch. I was very undeserving of what God had. As a matter of fact, I was very rebellious to God. But again, God, through his great love with which he first loved me, he saved me and he brought me into his family. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was as the world is, but now I've been brought into the household of God. Look around you. Why are these people here? Why are you here today? But God, but God, you were spiritually dead. But God, at some point, God entered into each and every one of our lives. Everybody here right now is a living testimony to God because the majority of the world, even the majority of the church, they're probably still laying around in their pajamas watching a parade somewhere, whatever it might be. But God has impressed upon a group of his people to come here to thank him, to remember him, and to praise him. And again, it's a testimony for, to who he is. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious, and he's filled, he's overflowing with compassion. Slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. All of your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Now remember, God blessing us is him doing well for us. Where did he do well for us? He did well for us upon the cross and his provision, and, and all that he has done. So that's how God has blessed us. We, in turn, are to bless the Lord. How are you blessed to bless the Lord? Well, the psalmist is blessing the Lord here. It's to speak well of him. Again, in all of our lives, in all of our Christian life, at some point, we've got to speak forth. And as we speak forth the Lord and his wonderful works and all that he has done, we bless God. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom, the kingdom of an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. 
verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed before or bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways, gracious in all of his works. The psalmist is, is really getting this. The psalmist is really understanding this. Again, remember King David? You look, and I think I spoke about this not too long ago. I can't remember where. But you, you look at King Saul. You look at King David. And you look at Solomon. And you look at those three and you'd say, which one of those is saved? And if you look at their lives and their testimony, not so much their testimonies, but their lives and the things that they've done, you can't really tell. Well, there's Saul. He was disobedient to God. He was supposed to kill King Agag. And there was the witch at Endor thing. Okay, there's that. There's Solomon. He married a thousand women, pretty much. And he built shrines to false gods and, and all of that. Then there's David. And what did David do? Well, he not only had an affair with a man's wife, he impregnated her, and then he murdered the man. Now you tell me which one of those people are saved. Well, there was only one of those. We, Solomon seemed to have come around, so we'll set Solomon aside. Saul had no heart for the Lord, but David had a heart for the Lord. And you can look at God and say, how could he save such a person? But look in the mirror and ask him the same thing, because he's gracious. He's long-suffering, and his mercy, his mercy endures forever. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways, gracious in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Now what you need to see is, is the response to what David said at the beginning in the I wills. I will praise you. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will praise you. I will meditate and I will declare. Then verse 19, he will. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. David, you have that desire to worship God, and as you have expressed your heart to the Lord of all that you will do, that you have a desire, then God is going to enable you in that. If you have a desire to walk right with the Lord, God will bless that. Come before the Lord and ask that He would enable you to. Don't stand before God and arrogantly tell Him what you're going to do. He has no respect for that. But I will, Lord, I will, if it be your will. That your will be done in my life, but Lord, your will would be done through my life. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear Him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The idea behind saved isn't so much salvation, but continue to keep them. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever. And all that goes on in the world, and all that sounds right, all that looks right, all that feels right, God sets the standard. God sets the standard. And as we look to the Lord, we see that that standard is a holy standard. We see that that standard is a righteous standard. And we've seen it proven out throughout the ages. As we live our life that is directed by the word of God, we're thankful. We're thankful because we see the blessings. We thankful, we're thankful because we see that God's hand is upon us in such a way that he keeps us from evil and he keeps us from harm. My mouth shall speak 
the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever. If you go through the Psalms, you just see a wealth of wisdom and information that we get from the one who has a heart for the Lord, from King David. These are his last words. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. This is praise that springs up from a thankful heart for all that God has done. What will your mouth speak today? What will you speak forward? What will you proclaim of the Lord today? Not so much when given the opportunity, but it's more important that you take the opportunity. That you take the opportunity to worship God, to thank God, but also to speak of God and to speak of the wonderful things that he has done. So this morning, take that time in your own unique way because God has blessed us all in particular ways and all in different areas. And grasp on to that, embrace that, and realize the goodness of the Lord. Take this day to set yourself back in a right standard before a holy living God. And as we move forward from this day, as we move into the brightness of the thanksgiving of God to the blackness of Friday, realize it's not about the things and the stuff. The world is going to kill themselves tomorrow for the things and the stuff that are going to fade away probably not going to even last throughout the year, but we have that which endures forever. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us. And Father, I pray today that we would, Lord, that we would glorify you in all that we do. I pray, Father, in our preparation this morning that you would be glorified through our service here, through our praises as we close out this service. I pray, Father, through the eating of the the meal, Lord, that this blessing that you have given us on that table as we consume it, that, Lord, it truly would become part of who we are. And as it is, Father, it would be strength to our soul for the purpose of all that you would have for us. That, Lord, we would recognize you as such, as Lord of our lives and thankful, Lord, that you govern over us. Lord, even in the midst of the fiery furnaces that we go through, that you would watch over and keep us. But Father, also be seen by our side so that as we go through these trials, the world would see us and the world in turn would see you as well. And so Father, again, I pray that as these are your words, make them real in our lives, first to us and then to others. And so Lord, I lift up those who have come out this morning that you would bless them. I pray, Father, as as we take inventory of all that you've done, that, Lord, we would see your goodness in that. And because of that, Father, I pray that we would be a people that would glorify you in all that we do and all that we say, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?